Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm your host, Chad Brindle. I, as always, joined during the basketball season by my main man, Justin Berg. I'm sure we will uh, be working in some Dave Simone here over the next uh, couple weeks as we get into uh, spring football starting on Monday. You can find our exclusive one-on-one sit-down with head coach Luke Fickle that gets, uh, gets a head start on what to look for in the spring on the Carson Field football board. Uh, Please go check that out. But for now, we've got a basketball team that's top ten in the country and maybe moving up because everybody stays. (laughs) No kid. Coming off of uh, a couple wins uh, at home over the weekend, including senior day. Justin, um, what was – you didn't. You didn't take it very hard. I, you, I didn't. You didn't seem very upset on on Sunday. I About might, what? Gary Clark Senior Day. I thought you might take that a little harder. Yeah, I think just because there's more games to play, and I probably had already cried in my mind ten or twelve times over the last three years, just anticipating it. So I didn't. I guess it just didn't materialize in real life. But uh, it, it, I'm sure when the season's over, that that's when I'll get emotional i think the big thing was gary didn't really get overly emotional like he was able to keep it in check i think if he would have lost it then that entire arena would have lost it true and he held it together so uh good senior day for gary and kyle and and jackson bart only thing that was that that i wish would have went a little differently and i it's not that i this is something i i blame mick for but the end of that game was so weird that there wasn't a chance to take Gary out and get him one last ovation because I think everybody kept waiting for Tulsa to foul and they just didn't do it. They just conceded the game. It was strange. Yeah. What was that? I don't. It, that, it's not like UC is Notre Dame from the foul line or anything, right? And down by eight with just under two minutes to go, and they had hit a hundred threes. Like right, you would think they would at least give it a puncher's chance to continue to to try to shorten the game, but. UC got an offensive rebound with about a minute and a half left. They let Jacob Evans walk up to the top of the the, t- the timeline and, and stand there for 25 seconds. It was one of the odder things I've seen. I, I, both of us are looking at each other going, what in the world is going on? Come on, Frank Haith. You trying to win or what? It, it is Frank Haith. So. Yeah. But uh, other than that, I mean, it was uh, – in terms of, of that game, it was good to see Jaron and Jake get their uh, their three point stroke back. Um, they're going to need that coming down the stretch, and that was a game. Um, the defense didn't play well, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> and the offense had to win it. And the offense went out and was fantastic in that game. I think with you know before they they slowed it down at the end. Uh, they were up at like 1.46 points per possession with like eight minutes, six minutes left in the game. Yeah, I mean, J- Jaron and Jacob got their stroke, like you said, and everybody had their stroke, really. Kane, Justin Jennifer's two for two. Gary had a couple in the second half. Yeah. Just from, from start to finish, and that's why if they didn't, then that could have been – I mean, can you imagine that – Giving up 47 in the first half, that could have been 47 to 34 or something instead of 47 so. to 44. Yeah. And it, it just it, – it, the the defensive breakdowns in the first half or, or just the, the lack of being able to cover what Tulane – or Tulsa. There you go. You got – I think you got, got it in you. my head on that. What I Tulsa was you. doing – And the, I haven't messed with, it up all year. Yeah. 
I, I've done it recently a couple times. But Tulsa just spread the floor with E2 at the four, and then all their guys are hitting shots. And it's hard for UC to cover, especially with Gary in foul trouble. And then Washington and Brooks aren't able to really get out there and do much. So they just just couldn't get out, and there's just too many uh, open shooters. But, yeah, I mean, it it was nice to see them get their, their stroke back. Second half was the adjustment, of course, with – putting Trayvon Scott in there and then, and then Clark back in without, you know, with not sitting with the fouls. And that's what they did last year. That Marshall game was, it was very similar situation. And then even a couple games after that, where Trayvon was doing a good job covering the three point line. And I imagine we'll see that on Thursday night too, because Tulane also spreads you out probably on Sunday as well. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. I went back and watched the first half and early in that game, they were, they we're trying to play more of a traditional man where they hedged the ball screen with the big and then recovered. And that's what Tulane was eating or Tulsa. God, you got me, you son of a, that's what Tulsa was eating them alive on was they weren't very sure in that defense because it's not something they've played all year. Guys were getting lost in their rotations because they weren't used to, um, you know, the, the stand with you, you know, fighting through the ball screen and then as waiting for the, you know, you've got somebody that has to tag the roll, the pick and roll. Uh, so you have somebody that has to tag the roll. And then when the big recovers, that guy has to release and get back to his responsibility. And they, they just got lost in their rotations. And you have to credit Tulsa. They, they moved the ball well and hit a lot of really wide open step in looks to get a rhythm. And once they got a rhythm, I mean, that was crazy to watch in that first half because it, it kept feeling like, damn, Tulsa should be pulling away. And then every trip you see would come down and just bang, match it. Yeah. And it, it was like a, like a tennis match almost where it's bing, 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 back and forth on a long rally. And ultimately to get out of that half, you know, the Trayvon Scott block that was called a foul swung the score at the end of the first half. But to get out of that first half only down three at the level that, that Tulsa had played was pretty impressive for him. Yeah, and then it also looked like that Mick switched to just the traditional matchup zone. He did. Yeah, they, they got with, out of that. that yeah. That's, that's the, the hedge and recover real quick because it was yeah. not working. But then with, with Washington down, just basically standing in front of the rim mostly, so then Martin Zigbano said, oh, okay, I'll just get deep post position and just score right over him. He did it twice. So then it looked like they switched back, or I know that. Well, that's when they put Mick put uh, Trayvon in at that point, and then he blocked that. Oh my God, what a block! That's the the tragedy of the whole play is that could have been one of the greatest blocks in UC. I mean, at least in Trayvon's career. Yeah. I mean that Bonu had a head of steam, cocked it back right handed. He was trying to bring the pain. Trayvon met him with the left hand and just packed it right back in his face. And it just since it's a foul, you can't really count it as a block. Definitely can't, and that's just a shame for Trayvon. That's that's the the tragedy of the whole thing. But yeah, he's showing that he can do that, and then cover the perimeter, and he's playing with more strength. He's rebounding at a really yeah. high level. Right, he's at eight rebounds per game the last two, so he's going to get a lot more minutes because with the way that UC is defending, it just they he's Mick just has to do something, and you know people always want to say you, know, you play the best offensive guys, but not if you're giving up forty seven and a half. Uh, credit to him because, you know, he, he could have gotten frustrated with, you know, only getting 
10, 12, 15 minutes a game or whatever. But he's continued to work, and, and now you're in a situation where going down the stretch, he's starting to look like a guy that off the bench is going to be be able to give you quality minutes and, and be able to produce when he's on the floor. And if that continues, that makes the, the bench a little bit more formidable going into the postseason, which is something that we've talked about all year is getting them up to a level where – you know, they're a, at least a little bit more of a threat. Now you've got Kane on a roll, playing with confidence. Uh, you've got Trayvon Scott playing with some confidence. Trevor Moore um, against yeah. UConn bangs in four threes. So you're starting to see that bench come around a little bit, and it could be, you know, at exactly the right time for them. Yeah, and and Scott's going to be very key with a lot of these teams, like you just mentioned with Wichita as well, and, and for sure Tulane on Thursday. And there's just most teams that you're going to see, are they have stretch fours these days, and you know, the teams are just getting too many good looks against when UC plays a traditional big guy, whether it's Brooks or Washington. So that's going to be interesting to monitor the, the minute distribution between Washington and, and Scott and, and potentially so Seme, too, who's shown the ability to defend the perimeter. Like he, he In the second half against Wichita, I, w- I was going back and watching that, and he caught – Shamit on that switch and and Shamit tried two different series of moves and nothing and he ended up turning the ball over so you I mean it's I don't know you may see Brooks get phased out a little bit and and Kyle as well just with his total minutes because you got to find a way to get some stops you can't just you're not going to expect to just hit a ton of threes every game to match it yeah I mean you need to at least hit at a better clip than they were in the two game losing streak, but there's probably a happy medium in there somewhere where they settle at, you know, 36, 37%. And you're going to have to get stops in that situation. Um, And you'd need to do a little bit better job, obviously defending the three point line, which is, you know, where some of the, the matchup and rotational issues uh, come into play. So yeah. um, Overall though, uh, a good two game stretch to hold serve after the losing streak and get you into this week, which for all intents and purposes is is, 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 is a championship week feel for Cincinnati. Um, unfortunately, they have to go on the road for both of these games because Bank of Kentucky or BB&T Arena was not available due to the ninth region tournament. Um, so that's where that came up. Uh, they, you know, they wouldn't have had the BB&T Arena has a, Long-standing agreement with the ninth region in Northern Kentucky to host their their regional tournament, and that is this weekend. So they couldn't play games at BB&T Arena. That forces them on the road for these two games. Uh, they're not coming home. Uh, they'll they'll from what I understand they'll they'll go to uh, New Orleans today on Wednesday and play the game tomorrow night. And then stay in New Orleans tomorrow night, being a you know with it a, a nine o'clock tip. Uh, you're not going to get out of the arena till probably 12, 1230. Uh, so they're going to stay in New Orleans and then head to Wichita on Friday, um, get a practice in Friday uh, and Saturday, and then be ready for the game on Sunday. So uh, good for in terms of recovery and whatnot. You know, you're keeping them all together. You're staying on the road. Uh, Mike Rayfeld will have them um, – you know, in the, the recovery bags and, and in the cold tub and getting everything uh, monitored and occupied so that they'll be fresh for Wichita State on Sunday. Uh, if you beat Tulane, you guarantee a share or a co-conference championship 
Um, if you beat both, then you are the uh, undisputed conference champion in the American this year, which, uh, the, you know, that had that, that's one of their goals, had to be one of their goals. It, it's, it's what you aim for when you start a season is to win a championship, and they have that within their reach right now. Yeah, and they, under Mick's regime, have not done that yet. So it, this would be the first time on that. Well, they and sh- they've shared one, but they haven't. I know. I'm, well, no, I, I meant undisputed. Yeah. And so, but this is, as far as trying to, to, to give this team the toughest possible road to prepare it for the postseason, I mean, this is it. You got to go to Tulane, a team that can score, and – and I mean, they beat Houston down there by nine. I know the circumstances were strange on Houston's side for the travel, but still did it. And then to try to go to Wichita at noon on a Sunday on their senior day, I mean, it doesn't get any any more difficult than that in, in this league. So good. I mean, they need it. If you they got to be they got to be toughened up. And this is their this is an opportunity. Can they do it? And that it's it's a lot to ask, but. If, if they're really as good as the ranking says, your top 10 team, you, you should be able to go ahead and win these two and win the league. And in terms of uh, impact on the tournament, um, looking at Bracket Matrix right now, uh, they are listed as the number two three seed. Uh, Auburn lost last night. They are kind of falling. They're one spot ahead. And then on the two line, you have Duke, North Carolina, Purdue, Michigan State. Um if you can win these two games, a two seed is very much back in play. Right. So, you know, you're controlling your destiny here in terms of um, not only seeding and getting an easier path, but also in terms of location and maybe getting to play in Detroit or Nashville or, or Pittsburgh instead of Wichita or Dallas, you know, instead of, uh, you know, being being able to be in a place – where a pretty large number of your fans are going to be able to come out and see you uh, as opposed to, you know, getting shipped basically a a flight away because you're not – people aren't getting in their car and driving to Dallas or Wichita. It's just not happening. A little too far. Yeah, but, uh, you know, obviously a trip to Pittsburgh or Detroit or or Nashville, those are all roughly four or five hours away. Even Charlotte. Yeah, you can. Well, I mean, you got. I mean, that's not four or five, but it's still no reasonable drive. That's Duke, North Carolina. Like you're not going to end up there. Like it's just unlikely to happen. So I haven't really been considering Charlotte. Um, But you can still, you know, yeah, you can still easily make the drive to Charlotte. I do it every year. It's not that bad. Stop in Asheville, North Carolina, on your way there. Biscuit head. Biscuit head. You got to. You got to do that. I, I I heeded that advice last time I was there, and, and it is definitely worth it. It is the best breakfast I've ever had. So. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, Tulane, you'll have a scouting report coming up, uh, but obviously they have uh, a very talented offensive team. Uh, the game could be very much like Tulsa in that if they're making shots, you're going to have to match them. They're not very good on defense. They are very good on offense. Um it, so, you know, it could be a game that you're going to have to win 83 to 76 or something in those those that range, which we haven't seen this team go on the road and put up, you know, 75, 80 points all that often. No. And Dunleavy's team loves to play up tempo. That's when they're at their best. And 
So that'll be the key. I looked at their numbers, the, their points per possession on or in the half court are much lower than in transition, which is true for a lot of teams, but it's 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 a pretty uh, stark contrast. And they with Rayona Embo at the point, he's got he's six foot five. He sees over the defense. He likes to push the tempo. They've got they've got some just I mean almost every position they've got someone that's an issue. The the freshman Caleb Daniels, six foot four, off the bench as a six man. Even he's he's a guy you got to check. He's like almost forty percent from three, and uh, some of the guys on the team are, have been so impressed with him that they think he's going to play in the NBA. Uh, and then as far as the NBA, you're looking at Melvin Frazier. Have you seen how far his name is really jumping up on the list lately? He's a junior. Yeah. Now six foot six. I mean, a lot of people are projecting him to go um, after this year, and and I mean. There's when he goes to the combine, there's a decent chance that people would say that, that people would like him for the first round because he's almost got a seven foot wingspan. He's very athletic. He can shoot the three. He can do pretty much everything. So That's they the, just the big thing yeah. for him is the three point shot because he did not yeah. have that up until this year. No, he wasn't even close to where he is now. Um, so so Frazier and and then uh, and and Daniels and then this guy uh, Jordan Cornish who transferred from UNLV six foot six. He's been up and down, but um, he's you know, he, if he gets it going, he's tough to handle. He's a big, bulky guard. So, and Ona Embo is six five, and so they all have really good size at those wing positions and the guard spots. And then the uh, Samir Sahich, the the six nine transfer from Bandy from Bosnia, he's out of Bosnia. Um, he's a sophomore. He's he's a tough matchup for sure. He's like a really good feel inside outside threat. Um, just a guy they really haven't had, and uh, he's been scoring. In the in the teens, a bunch of games lately. Um, so they have like their top six are all basically double figure score type of guys. Daniels just doesn't play enough, but um, they're, they're it's going to be hard to stop them. The, the key is just going to make sure don't let them get any kind of flow and and tempo. And and as we've seen, of course, um, you know Cronin doesn't like the the game to be too fast on the road. So if if they can wrestle the tempo away and and make it a half court deal, then hopefully the Bearcats defense can you know, squash them a little bit and and have a chance to just uh, find a way to inch their way to get some separation in that one. Like I was saying last time, like this just feels like one of those games, like just get to the end and let's see if UC has more points and then you can exhale. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to is, is just get the win and get on the plane on Friday to Wichita because um, if you lose that, Man, then you've got a chance of, of not even sharing a conference championship, which being three games up with six to play and, you know, the toughest, clearly the toughest part of their conference schedule was the last six games because you had two games with Wichita, one game with Houston, one game with Tulsa, who's in fourth. You know, basically all of your biggest games, except for the Houston home game, were in that final six games so picking up a couple losses not a big deal losing four of the six potentially would be a disaster for the way that this season had gone you know prior to two weeks ago yeah then imagine the jucker court message board at that point i quit (laughs) it's all yours berg will be answering all your questions if they lose two games this week i i will uh be taking a leave of absence and focusing on spring football <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I I can't see him losing 
two games this week. And I, I well, honestly, I think they've got a good chance at Wichita. I know you don't. I know you you have a high value on Wichita from what they showed at uh, BB&T Arena. It's not that I think lowly of them. I just think we didn't see Cincinnati's best shot at them in that game. I think they've got a chance to go in there and get a win. I, I just do. Yeah, they have a chance. I mean, they, they, they just – it's going to come down to scoring. It just you're not holding Wichita to 58. I, I just don't see it, on, especially on their place. home floor. Yeah, yeah I mean – On senior day. I, I think it's it's going to – the the scoring would would probably be in the same range, in the, the low to mid-70s. And so UC is going to – I mean, can UC score 75-plus on the road against a, a top – 10 top 15 type of team i know they're not the best defensive team this year but we we just haven't seen that so that 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 just i mean it would be something that would be new (laughs) to see them go down there and and beat them like 78 to 72 because that's the type of thing it's going to take i feel like now there is a potential that they can they can get the game at a slower pace uc could and with some of the adjustments that they've made on defense recently they may have a better chance to to stop uh, Wichita from getting into a rhythm and then maybe you do hold the game into the 60s and you can win it 67 63 I don't know it just this is just something that we have not really seen Cincinnati do over the years and so it would I'm not saying they can't it's just that if you're uh, if you're looking at it objectively you wouldn't think that they had that great of a chance yeah I, I yeah I guess I I just the interesting thing for me is going to be um, Wichita is typically a team that that runs a million different offensive sets. They didn't do that when they were here. So, you know, Cronin has kind of hinted that they, they're going to do some things different defensively. Does that mean that Wichita goes to running their, their set offense and, and are they able to, you know, pick Cincinnati apart with a bunch of, you know, design plays? Or do they continue to try to isolate and find the mismatch uh, and kind of freelance like they did at, at BB&T Arena. It's going to be interesting offensively to see uh, what Greg Marshall decides to do in that game, uh, depending on what Mick has up his sleeve um, in terms of giving them a different look defensively as opposed to what they saw at BB&T Arena. Uh, you have to think this game is probably for conference player of the year as well, right? Yeah, probably so. You know, if if Landry Shamit comes out and has another – uh, performance like he did uh, at BB&T Arena. He probably moves ahead of Gary Clark for that award. If Gary Clark can hold serve and, and you know, get 15 and 8, 15 and 9, um, maybe Gary Clark, you know, maintains that edge for the American Conference Player of the Year. Not that it really matters. Obviously, yeah. they're both going to be first team, but uh, for – for fans and, and, you know, outsiders, I think that would be really a really cool legacy to leave for Gary because he was never that 19, 20, 22 point a game guy. That just wasn't his role. Um, but still he did everything well enough to be the conference player of the year, averaging, you know, 14 points a game. Yeah. If I just think it comes down to which team wins the game, if Cincinnati wins and they're the outright champ, then it's going to go to Clark. I don't think there's any question if if Wichita wins again, then then it becomes a split vote, and then you don't know. It just depends on which coaches prefer which player. 
But you you were talking about the the adjustments, and that's that's definitely an area to to focus on because the the first game, you know, Greg Marshall really anticipated what Cincinnati was going to do on defense, and like you said, exploited a lot of mismatches and things like that. And it took a while for you see to make some adjustments to to slow them down in the second half. They they were able to they they Shaman only had three in the second half. So now it becomes okay. Is UC going to to do what they did that worked in the second half? And then does Wichita have another adjustment to make to counter that? Because they do have so many weapons and and so many guys that can just freelance, like you said, and it, it or they can go with sets. I mean, there's just so many things that go into it. And then from UC's side, offensively, it seemed like they found that that dribble drive motion spread offense that worked against Wichita. So then what does Wichita do to counter that? Do they go to a zone and then it relegates the driving lanes not you know almost non-existent because there's, you're not moving guys around as much? So there's this is a big-time chess match. You can see the, the makings of Mick Cronin versus Greg Marshall on the on the chessboard for – for as long as both these guys are are at the helm of their schools, there's just there's just so many pieces on each side, and 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 so many strengths and weaknesses, and just different things like that. So it really, this game is gonna. I think that's just the game within the game to see how they each adjust to what the other game plan ends up being. And and I think we didn't talk about this, and and the more I thought about it, the more I I think we should have because I do think it played somewhat of a factor. Um, that was that was UC's first experience with Wichita was first Wichita's first experience with UC but Wichita had an advantage there because Donnie Donnie Jones who had coached at South or Central Florida for you know the for quite a while up until a couple years ago yeah until last year he had experience with Cincinnati he knew what Cincinnati liked to do on defense now he's not at Central Florida anymore because he was a terrible defensive coach but he knew how to coach offense and knew how to express to those guys what Cincinnati was going to try to do to them defensively. Great point. I, 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 I yeah, slipped I, by me. I think that gave them a little bit of a, a leg up because they had some foreshadowing or at least some ability to say if they're going to switch everything, isolate Kyle or you know whatever, get this mismatch or when you see this mismatch. Um, keep working through the pick and roll until you get there. Like I, I saw it again with uh, with Tulane or Tulsa. Same damn thing. Um, <laughs> when when teams get the mismatch, like they get the mismatch right, and they and they've got the ball handler out top on a big or w- whatever mismatch it might be, and then they come back up and set another pick and roll, and the switch goes right back, and now you've got a guard on them, and the bigs back on a big. Like, why are you doing that? I know pick and roll might be your 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 designed, quote-unquote, set in that situation, but you've created the mismatch, and if you come back up and do a, a high ball screen again, you're eliminating the mismatch. Like, that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me when teams do that against that switching defense, but Wichita State didn't do it. They got the mismatch, and as soon as they got the mismatch, they went isolation one four flat. Like Landry Shamit, you got Kyle Washington now. Go. You know they didn't bring somebody. They didn't bring Shaq Morris back up and allow Kyle to go back on Shaq Morris and Jacob Evans to go on Shamit or whatever the case may be. Like 
that was the really smart thing they did. And I think when they run that that switching man-to-man, that's how the teams with high-end offensive talent can exploit it. And, yeah. and Wichita State did, and others have kind of uh, played back into Cincinnati's hand by running another ball screen and, and letting them get back to what they wanted in the first place. Right. So that's where Scott becomes a factor because if you switch – and you get Trayvon on Shamit, then he can stay with him, and he's got the length to bother his shot. And it so, but I know that in the first game that UC really was focused on the three point line, and they, I mean, Wichita State didn't get a ton of attempts. I think they they were less than twenty attempts in the game. No, they just were eight, really eight, hot in the first half. Yeah, eight, yeah, eight for eighteen, and they hit some key ones in the second half too. But but that that seems to be the the especially when they're at home, you don't want to give them a ton of looks. But then there was other mismatches where. And they they just did a good job of finding whether it was Evans or somebody who was or Cumberland down on Shaq Morris, and they did a you know high low pass or something like that. But what I saw, I was look, looking back at the film, and I'll have a uh, like a little another inside the film room thing coming up over the weekend here leading up to the game. But the the what I kept seeing was Rashard Kelly and Daryl Willis, and even and Shaq Morris to an extent were really pushing Clark and Washington so far out of their spots that they were almost catching the, the they were almost posting up like a step inside the three point line. Yeah. And you, they just it's just going to it's really just gummed up the works and it, it really took those guys out of the picture. So it, as much as you want to look at how UC was 7 for 23 from 3 and that's you know 30% especially trying to be a good team it just doesn't bode well but there was no spacing. It, yeah, but if you can't get Clark and Washington the ball eight to ten feet and and in when they catch it it's going to be much harder for them and that's just Wichita State just they have the personnel to be able to do that and if you watch when the shots would go up from the outside on those the seven for 23 from three you would see very fundamental box out like like I was watching one where um where Kelly just got so low and just kept Clark completely out of the the rebounding opportunity and so that's just an area where if there's going to be an adjustment, can UC find a way to use that against Wichita State that, they, that they're going to deny him and try to push him so far out? Can you fake, spin, maybe get a lob? I mean, different things like that to try to get a couple buckets against them, and maybe they won't, they'll have to ease up like how much they overplay the post. They tried a couple lobs in that game, but it went terribly, right? Yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, the high-low yeah. things, and yeah, like just – I don't know what exactly how to draw it up. I'm not a coach, but they just if if you know they're probably going to do that, and they were like three quarter uh, fronting and things like that. Um, and I know somebody posts on the message board like you know you got to spin and then you try to like an over the top type of thing. But yeah, I mean it just there's now both teams have showed their hand to an extent on on the defensive side, so it just becomes okay. Let's make some adjustments. Let's see who shoots the ball better. And then let's see who rebounds. I mean, the, the rebounding war, again, UC out-rebounds them by one in the first game and likely will have a, a similar spread. I mean, both these teams are so good on the glass, but if, 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 if the Bearcats can find a way to make some hay on the glass, they'll have a much better chance, especially on the road. Yeah, so what are you thinking? 1-1, and 2-0, 0-2? Not 0-2. I think they're going to. I mean, I, I do think that the two-lane game could get dicey at times, and it'll just be one of those where uh, your significant other is not going to want to be in the room with you, and uh, you maybe need maybe need a uh, alcoholic beverage or your. However, you call your nerves. 
Right. Whatever your choice is, we don't need to get into it. But um, it's just going to be there's just going to be stretches where you're going to be like, God, come on, because Tulane will just make some threes and, and Cam Reynolds will just raise up even though he's guarded. And and they also and a guy like Frazier is just here's here's something I was thinking about. And I was asking the um, I was talking to Gary Smith of the New Orleans Advocate today and about this matchup would be Frazier versus Evans, isn't it? I mean, that is a, that's a high level matchup. And, and Frazier's so long and athletic. Will he be able to take Jacob out of the game? Because Jacob, as good as he is, there's times where he can't beat his man just straight up off the dribble sometimes, and he won't be able to really shoot over a guy like Frazier. So there's that aspect of a guy like Frazier that could get a steal, or he could, I mean, he can just ignite the team. And and that I don't know how many people they have. What do they got? Forty one hundred seats in that place, Devlin yeah. Fieldhouse. So it, it just it just feels like one of those games that. But I think at, at the end of the day. Cincinnati, it means just as much to Cincinnati as it does to Tulane because it's Evans' homecoming and it's it's a chance to, to guarantee a share of the title. So I think at the end of the day, the Bearcats will win. I don't know what – I think the spread maybe will be 10 or 12, and I I wouldn't bet on him to cover. And then um, I don't know. The Wichita game, it just I – mean, I, I think that Cincinnati can beat Wichita State, but senior day, um, noon start, it's just it's 11 a.m. in Wichita. Yeah, I mean, this is just a huge type of game that 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 just over the years, UC hasn't had a ton of success in this type of a game when you're playing a team equal or better, and they're motivated, and um, so it just you know it doesn't mean that Cincinnati can't win and won't win. It's just it's just going to take they're going to have to play their tip top best. There's no you're not going to go you're not going to win shooting 30 percent from three. You're not going to win if you get out rebounded. I mean. They have to, in every category, they have to accord themselves well. And and then at the end of the game, they're going to have to get the stops they need. So it's right there for them. And it's not that I don't have confidence. It's just it's hard to believe that, that they can actually go down there and do that. They're going to have to play their best game of the year to win yeah. at Wichita, which I'm all for. Let's see it. Let's see what the best, you know, let's see what your best looks like going into the tournament. I, I'm I'm – I'm a proponent of that, you know. It's, yeah, it's a, it's an opportunity, uh, you know, to get a championship. To to if you beat Tulane, it's an opportunity to lock up that number one seed. Although I like, I'm a two seed guy. Why? Why? Because you play at seven o'clock every day in the tournament instead of noon. Mm. That's I hate the one seed because you're at noon. You're in that noon slot, you know. That that first opening game slot in every round of the tournament, which I I don't love. Yeah, but it's only going to be one I mean, game, once you get to, yeah. once you get to the semifinals. They're just the two night games, so it's not a huge deal. But yeah, I just I, I prefer. But then seven. you then you, then you play Tulsa slash Tulane in the in your semifinal matchup or if you get the one seed. Is Houston going to drop to a four? No, I'm saying if you're the two, you get. Houston. Oh, I'm saying as the one, you would you yeah. would just. You would get, but I guess if you're, if you do get a two or a three, then you would have to beat both Houston and Wichita more than likely to win it, and that would just add more tough games to your your ledger and just your your growth yeah. as a team. Uh, unrelated, but not only unrelated for this exact point in the conversation, but just back to Senior Day, and we were talking about this before the game, and I, according to you, and I don't know if this is if this is if this really is set in stone. It's Maybe a fact. you know. 
I'm, okay. I told so, you it's a fact. Okay, so so the the retiring the jerseys that you see, the reason why there's only three is because they have a requirement that you must win Player of the Year, which is p- pretty lofty like requirement. I mean, National Player of the Year, kind of hard to do that. Retired. Yeah, National yeah. Player of the Year. So, but how can you not make an exception for a guy like Gary Clark? I mean, what else do you need to do short of that to prove that you are a Bearcat that should be remembered for all time? I think we'll see something different in the new arena. Yeah, they should. Where it's where it's maybe not a jersey retirement, but it's it's something to honor guys like Gary Clark and Sean Kilpatrick and Steve Logan and you know I, I think there should be levels. I think there should be a higher level of um, acknowledgement for guys that were National Player of the Year than guys that were first team all or second team All Americans. Like I I. Maybe that's crazy. Like, and and the thing is, they they had the um, they had the wall in the west in or west uh, baseline. The right baseline is where all the banners were. The east baseline is where all the banners were. The west baseline was they had that uh, under the the restaurant. They had the names of all the all Americans. Yeah, I just don't think anybody ever like really look to that like it wasn't a, a prominent point in the arena it was there but it was just kind of there i think they need to do something else for those guys that were all americans agreed and uh, they hopefully will they will yeah but you know retiring a jersey like i if if that's going to be your criteria okay then that's your criteria for retiring a jersey but now you need to have something like where you 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 hang the guy's jersey in recognition. So you've got a wall of Gary Clark and Steve Logan and Sean Kilpatrick and Danny Fortson and, you know, all the other high-level, really, really good, impactful players that have come through the program that maybe aren't on the level of Kenyon and Oscar and Twyman. You need some some balance in that, like – you can't just say the only people that were ever good enough here to have that recognition are the guys that won national player of the year. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I mean, how many, the only one person does that per year. Right. So you can't, I mean, it's just, it's so rare to have Out of that. 350 year. teams. Yeah. So times 10 or whatever, whatever, 3,500 players plus. So yeah, it's just that I don't like that criteria, but I also think that, the beyond how good of a player he is, there's other stuff too that goes into it as we've documented. And so it just, to me, if I, I, and right after that, that senior day ceremony, I walked over to, to Mayshock and I just said, Hey, if there was ever a player to get their Jersey retired, it's number 11, Gary Clark. He said, you're a hundred percent right. But I don't think anybody would argue with me. So it's not that big of a deal to no, point I mean, it out. It deserves it's just to be that, recognized in some way, shape or form. Yeah long-term in the new arena maybe name maybe name the court after him or something <laughs> Easy, I don't, tiger. Easy. i mean yeah, okay yeah i am i getting carried away i don't know i don't I think mean, a lot of people it's named yeah. after a national championship coach the court you're, you're gonna take that away from ed jucker yeah ed jucker's had his day <laughs> <laughs> he, he has two national championship titles up in the the, the, the fourth floor of the lender center that's I think he, I think he gets the court. Like yeah, you're right. Until someone else wins one, yeah, it's it's his. 
I mean, now if Gary goes out and is a monster leading them to a national championship, name the whole damn arena after him. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. So, but but back to the uh, this week ahead, Chad. You haven't. Are you feeling two and zero? Sounds like you are. I think I am. I think they. Okay. I think with the experience and the leadership on this team, I have a good feeling they go into Wichita and get that win. Now, remember, I had a bad feeling about Wichita coming here. Uneasy. I thought Cincinnati won a close game, but I didn't feel confident because I did just didn't think they were in a good place at that point in time. You know, I, I kind of got that feeling watching a practice before the Houston game. They just didn't seem as sharp as they had been earlier in the year, and I don't know if some of that is just the fatigue of a season or, you know, getting that three-game lead can kind of make you a little bit complacent in your mind whether – you know, you admit to it or not. I, I think that's human nature. Three games up with six to play. We got this. And maybe you're not as, as sharp and you're not as dialed in. Um, I think now seeing the finish line in sight is a different story. Because yeah. you now see, we go on the road and get these two wins. It's our championship. So, I don't know. I, I think getting that first full look at Wichita State um, is going to be a good thing for them. Um, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I think it's going to be really close. Uh, for some reason, I just have a, a, a gut feeling they figure out a way to get that thing done and, and come home this week two and zero and and sixteen and two in the league with the championship and have the same exact record as last year, right? Um, 27, 27 and four and sixteen and two weren't that wasn't that what they were? Yeah, I think so. The only so. losses were to SMU last year. Or no, they lost oh, one to um, UCF. One to UCF, one to SMU, and then one to SMU in the uh, championship game. Yeah, that's another thing that so so. I mean, yeah, they were in the Big East for a while, but but in in the twelve years that Cronin's been here, they don't have a regular season outright, and they don't have a, a conference tournament championship yes, yet. Two thousand thirteen Big East tournament champions. Oh, oh, that's right. That was vacated. I, I, 2013 Big East Tournament Champions. I'm claiming it. I'll, uh, I'm putting it or on the 12. wall. Or 12. No, 12. Yeah, 12. 2012 yeah. Big East Tournament Champions. I'm putting it on the wall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, beating Syracuse should have just, they should have just crowned them right there. I mean, they beat at, Georgetown in overtime. They beat Syracuse that hadn't been beaten all year with Fab Mello. 2012 Big East Tournament Champions, Cincinnati Bearcats. All right. I'll no get, one can I'll, convince me otherwise. <laughs> I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. No, yeah, no so, student yeah. athletes were paid in hookers for this championship. <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure on that one. I know, I know. Her, no one on that team has herpes from a uh, sex party <laughs> hosted by an assistant coach, <laughs> a staff member. Oh, the old Louisville Cardinals doing what they do. Yeah, to, on the on the way to prominence, on the way to that. Those two giant stadiums, yeah. the stadium and the arena, and all the fanfare. And now they're in hell. Yeah. Oh, is um, is Miller going to be gone today from Arizona? It's what the people. There's some people out in Arizona that tend to think that. Yeah, it sounds like it. Hmm. I mean, is it? Yeah, we don't need to even get into that. That's just a whole other deal. But uh, but but I just wanted to say that, like you mentioned this before when we were talking about recruiting on how 
the you know UC coaching staff they have a they have like a, a third eye to look at like potential bad situations or, or basically people that uh, could lead to a bad situations and they just say all right we're not going to recruit this kid anymore right I mean that's just been the way yeah, that they've done I mean, things like, well this is exposing some of that in that like it's only one guy but there's a bunch of these guys out there like if Christian Dawkins was involved you knew shady stuff was going on because that's what Christian Dawkins does so then you get away from a kid that's you know got Christian Dawkins with his hand out looking for ways to funnel things to that player and and at the time get that kid into uh you know eventually Andy Miller's agency but um I mean that's that it's what it's kind of shed the light on is what I've been talking about over the years and that they just Mick's been doing this a long time. And, and like I've said before, you know, he started with Sonny Vaccaro. He started uh, learning the underbelly, learning what exactly was going on. And he knew who to stay away from, who not to be involved with. And that's a direct, um, a direct line into keeping your nose clean is you're not dealing with the people that you knew they knew like they Andy Miller was was not on their uh, good list like that guy wasn't allowed around so and, and remember Mick was a huge Adidas guy like he knew who the bad apples were and you you don't see you see coming up in, in any of that so um yeah I mean I don't know how much it actually changes anything because the power players are still the power players and the the hierarchy of college basketball at, at this point is what it is um maybe if some heads really start to roll and some universities take some big hits we'll we'll see a couple names fall off of that list but in the grand scheme of things look the my my ultimate take on it is these these conferences and especially these elite programs have worked very hard to distance themselves from the pack, and I don't see them allowing this to be the thing that that levels the playing field. It's it's just not gonna. They'll find out a way to make sure that they stay where they are, and that the pecking order stays the same. It, it's an un, you know it stinks to say that, but I just don't see with as much money involved how it changes. I, I don't see where this massive shift in the sport that everybody is talking about comes from because that would mean them giving up their stranglehold on the billion-dollar industry. And that ain't happening, bro. No. That ain't happening. As much as we want it to, as much as we think it might, like, it ain't happening. It's just not. This isn't a socialist country. No. And there will still be ways. Whatever, whatever they take away now something new will pop up you can guarantee that that's it's been happening for since the beginning of time so i don't see yeah. it being any different i know that's well not said. what people wanted to hear but well you I, i'm just honest with it I, that's just my take from what i see from the inside yeah i mean you've been around all that stuff for a while and the recruiting and so yeah, you would have a better take than than I. I mean, I I would have no idea. I've been to one really you know AAU event before, but um, yeah, it's it, it just the other, the only thing else to say about it is just that 
some of this stuff, it seems like it's pretty arbitrary, like a dinner getting paid for or whatever the case is. It was almost like, why, why do you got to drag, um, some of these schools and, you know, under the mud just because somebody, you know, whatever, got some regular thing. I don't know. It just seems like that the some kids, parents got dinner that they didn't know that the parents even had. Yeah. Which is not illegal. They can do that. You're allowed to meet with an agent and now you have to pay for your own dinner. But I mean, that part of it, like what could you imagine? Like miles bridges had to repay $40. Can you imagine him like going in, you know, like, Hey man, you got change for a hundred. <laughs> like for real, like if you're going to be eligible tonight, son, we're going to need $40. It's unbelievable. Seriously. $40. That that's, that's what we're doing here. Well, bottom line is that, like like we were just talking about, you know, Mick knows what's going on in that world, and that that's a that's a big thing. And so, when people talk about recruiting here, and they say, "Why aren't you getting this kid? Why aren't we on that kid? How come you recruit this kid because only these schools are after him?" Well, I mean, he's just doing the best he can, and I mean, it's probably a lot better than than a whole host of other people could do. Yeah. Very much so. Um, also, Laquille Hardnett. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of recruiting. Yeah. Uh, six foot eight-ish. I'd say six foot eight is uh, is pretty comfortable in his size. Uh, I'm sure you've gone back and watched videos of him. What did you think? I haven't seen a ton of him. I, I've just seen what's on there, and, and it, it seems like he has the potential to be a very, very long guard that has pretty good feel. Right, he looks like his handles are pretty solid. I mean, he plays point guard for a, yeah. a team that won the state championship in Maryland, and public schools winning state championships in Maryland almost never happens. Wow. Well, I know he has some other good players on that team, right? And uh, he's got a kid, Anthony Higgs, that's committed to Ole Miss, and then uh, there's a 2019 kid, Andre Walker, that's getting some Division One attention. I mean, that's there. There's six eight six eight six eight maybe yeah. six, nine across the front line uh, in high school that you're, you're going to win some games with uh, three high major division one talents that are six, eight or six, nine and pretty skilled uh, no matter where you're at. Yeah. And let's share, of course, that every time uh, there's a potential commitment to UC and I'll text Chad and say, you know, what's your read? You think, you think UC is going to get him? And then once he says that he, that they did get him, then he'll say a couple things about him. And then I'll say, Okay, but what about the thing you know I'm going to ask you? And Chad said, "Yes, he can put the ball over top of the rim and place it into the basket with both and I hands." Said, yeah, with both hands. And I said, "Okay, phew." He's but not, yeah, he 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 seems like an athlete. He's not a real yeah. bouncy like 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 jumping jack type though. But he's more of a uh, he's got the feel and the and the skill set, and he's and he I love just the, the quotes from Brian Snow's article about. He just said. I want to go to Cincinnati because I know they're going to make me work for everything that I'm going to get, and I need that right now. And those—that's virtually the same thing that Logan Johnson said. Yeah. So that's just—it's like um, a little money ballish uh, niche type of thing. That that's just you know some of these you know like Gonzaga and even Wichita State and some of these programs that aren't in the in the Power Fives and they, they that have risen uh, risen risen to a, somewhat of a level of prov- prominence is like they have these niches that a certain crop of players and they, they, they recognize that and they say, that's where I fit. And so you could look at who was recruiting him and all that stuff, or you could say, Hey, the kid's six, eight 
and can handle and shoot and do all this stuff, and he wants to work hard. So, so let's give him a shot. Yeah, and, and you know, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and as we talked about before we started recording this, um, he has moved into the already the top three names in UC basketball history, along with Kashmir Wright and Dontonio Wingfield. We. Chad, Chad's uh, point or point of view is that Kashmir would be number one because it's just the smoothest name, and there's yeah, there's no no one else has it. And I just I, you always gotta love Dontonio. It's just I haven't heard that name either from anybody else. And but now you got Laquill, so those would be my top three, and I think a lot of people's. Are you gonna go with his nickname? Is it what's it the cute? What is it? Quilly from Philly. Ooh. Because he's, he's, he's in Baltimore, but technically he grew up in Philadelphia. He was in Philadelphia until eighth grade okay. and then moved to Baltimore for high school. So that that's that Eric Lilly uh, found that somebody called him that um, after one of his high school games. And uh, we're trying I don't I just, I'm not sure if I love it, but it's pretty good. Quilly from Philly. I don't even think you need a nickname with a name like Quill. I think you're fine with that. As far as I can tell. Well, I mean, they're not going to call him Laquil here. He's probably going to be Q or Quill. Uh, in terms of like what what he gets, what they yell at him at. Right. Well, yeah, Quill. Practice. Yeah. Okay. Well, without the uh, just the Quill, that's still that's still pretty nice. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's uh, Brian Snow's got a couple articles up. I had an article up on his impact. There's plenty of talk about LaQuill on the message board. Just wanted to touch about it, touch on it here uh, before we go. So uh, I think that about wraps it up. You got anything else? Yeah, I just wanted to thank Snips Media for sponsoring us the last three months. Today is the, the last day of their commitment to us, and uh, hopefully we got some people to go check out their site and and post using the Snips Media, S-N-I.P-S. And you may make some money. You'll get some good information about the people who are looking at your posts. So Big shout out to to that company that's based in Chicago, and we everyone at BCJ appreciates it. That we do, my friend. That we do. Thanks to them uh, for their sponsorship. Hope to be able to work with them again in the future as that company gets bigger and bigger, much like Bearcat Journal. we got a ton going on. Uh, we've got, obviously, the last month of the basketball season upcoming, two big games in the regular season, the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Spring football starts on Monday. Uh, I will be there as often as possible, uh, given my wife's uh, health situation, which is good. Not a bad thing, just uh, going through, getting getting ready to go through the transplant process in March uh, and April. So um, we will have somebody at pretty much every practice, if not every practice, as long as things uh, work out the way that we want to, um, barring any, you know, surprises. But... Uh, we've got that going on, and then um, I will not uh, obviously probably be on the road for April and May recruiting. Uh, but the good news is now with our affiliation with Scout.com, Evan Daniels and Brian Snow and the national team will be out doing that. So you will still be getting plenty of info. Uh, we've got Tim Adams and Jeff Gentle covering uh, the UC baseball team. Uh, Shane Kenny doing a, a bang-up job on UC football recruiting along with national guys Bill Green and Alan Triu uh, and a couple of others around the nation when uh, a UC target pops up in their region. So there is no better time 
to be on Bearcat Journal. We are on fire with the level of content that's being produced right now across multiple sports and from multiple uh, uh, sources and connections with uh, with high level information. So, if you're not a member, get on that. If you are a member, thank you. We really appreciate it. No doubt. <laughs> but that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Cincinnati again at Tulane on Thursday night at 9, the uh, always popular Thursday night at 9 p.m. tip. And then Wichita State on CBS National Television. Good opportunity to make for a name for themselves on Sunday uh, against Wichita State in the Roundhouse. So that's – and then Selection Sunday shortly after that. So – or, no, that's the following week. Durr, brain cramp. Yeah, uh, week later. But hey, week later, a one, week away from a, selection yeah. Sunday. Undefeated on CBS this year, right? On regular CBS. Yeah, against UCLA, right? Yes, sir. So they they're one and zero on the road on CBS. Now I feel Maybe. even better. <laughs> now I feel good. I feel good about my pick. All right, man. That's gonna wrap it up. Thanks, Justin. We will see you next week. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.